Slayers and Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Exactly, give or take a day. 20 years after its original air date. Um, so I'm doing this a day late today. Um, blood ties is what we're talking about today. And also the Angel episode, Happy Anniversary. Um, so let's just start with talking about the Angel episode. Okay. I really fucking hated this episode. So this episode of Angel, let us consult the episode guide, shall we? Hold on. Let me, let me find the page. God, I haven't read one of these (laughs) descriptions for a while. I wasn't anywhere near the right page in my, where my bookmark was. The host... Have we not been introduced to him as Lorne yet? Um, reminder, just in case this is the first time you're you're listening, I almost said tuning in. <laughs> tuning in on your FM radio dial. <laughs> um, just in case this is the first time you're listening, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Okay, there you go. So, why this, yeah, I guess we just don't know that his real name's Lorne yet. So it says, the host warns Angel that the world is coming to an end because of a scientist who is going to attempt to stop time. So basically the whole thing is like this particular scientist has realized, has figured out how to stop time in an isolated um, space. So, and he just found out that his girlfriend's going to break up with him and she's going to give him a sympathy bone slash pity fuck. This really bugs me and that's most of what I'm going to talk about here that he just decided that while they were having sex for the very last time right before she breaks up with him because he overheard the conversation where she said that was her plan for the night on their one year anniversary he chooses to use what he's just discovered to stop time at the moment of orgasm like really that's a happy moment for you really Um, and some like demons, like know that the scientist knows how to stop time. And so they're going to just like widen the window so that it stops time everywhere so that it ends the world. This is a dumb episode, but it pushes the plot forward as far as like what's going on with Angel, because previously on Angel, the vampire slayer, Angel is brooding like harder than we've ever seen him brood and that is really saying something he's brooding about darla still and he just set her and drusilla on fire and we have not seen the results of that so we don't know the results of that so they're gonna bring that up in a couple episodes i'm sure and he oh god i'm just so exhausted with the angel plot line but So he's brooding. He's just fired Wesley, Cordelia, and Gunn because he, because he knows he has to hunt Darla and kill her. And like, he's just in such a dark space that he might as well cut them off. That is his thinking anyway. And so they're trying to start, they're trying to, they've decided to continue Angel investigations without him. So they've rented like a space and they're talking throughout the episode about how broke they are and how they don't have the money to pay the rent and like, They can't get the phone turned on. The electricity goes out and they can't get it turned back on and all this shit. It's like, 
is Angel independently wealthy? Like, why does he have money? Why? And if, and if Angel really cared about them as much as he purports to care about them, why wouldn't he send them all off with really generous severance packages so that they could carry on for a while? You know, like how does Angel have the finances to buy a gigantic hotel to live in completely by himself? I just, the logistics of any of this fucking shit. Okay. So the thing that bugs me, let me just, let me just look at my notes really quickly before I whine about the whole sympathy fuck thing. Okay. Okay. Cordelia and Wesley are moving into a new business. Lauren is here to tell Angel that the world's ending tomorrow. So he shows up at the hotel when Angel's brooding by himself and he's like, oh, so you fired everyone? Great broody guy. So the world's going to end tomorrow. And he knows this because he is a karaoke psychic and he can hear people's futures when they sing. And he realized suddenly the night before that everyone's future stopped at 10 p.m. the next night. Uh, it didn't go beyond that. Um, so he went to Angel to save the world, essentially. Um, I, I kind of get annoyed with these sort of like one-off apocalypse aversion plot lines because to me in shows like this shows like angel shows like buffy you know supernatural mystical shows that have apocalypses in them on the regular like you can't overdo it you know it starts getting to the point where it's like you're crying wolf like i i am okay with there being sort of an apocalypse i would preferably there wouldn't even be an apocalypse every single season like i get that like the big bad you have to up the stakes so if you have an apocalypse in season one then you should probably have an even scarier one in season two but it, i just feel like you don't always have to do that but it's especially annoying where there's an apocalypse that you have to avert in one episode it's like this is the episode arc the world's gonna end by tomorrow at 10 p.m how do we revert how do we uh, avert that. That's, that's the vert. The avert. <laughs> um, I don't know, it just bugs me. Interesting to note, Lauren says that Angel's aura is beige. <laughs> that is hilarious to me. That is perfect. Of course, aura's angel. Aura's angel? Angel's aura is beige. Um, uh, Mr. Get to the Pointy Pants. Blah, blah, blah. He's gonna freeze the pity fuck. Wesley's girlfriend is cool. Why doesn't she get to stick around? <laughs> like, she's been in a couple of episodes. She was the, the damsel in distress, like, a few episodes ago when Wesley had to, like, impersonate Angel for some weird reason. Oh, because Angel was sleeping all the time because he's obsessed with Darla and Darla was being a succubus. Oh, my God. It's fucking Darla shit. Um, we do get a scene in a library in this episode. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. Just, you know... If y'all don't know, I've worked at a public library for, I am 16 and a half years in at this point. Um, and so seeing a library anytime in TV or movies just makes me happy. Um, it just does. <laughs> and okay, they're at a library. Okay, two more sentences of notes for the Angel episode. 
Wesley, there's this, like, weird scene where, like, Wesley does, like, a murder mystery thing. Like, basically, there's this sort of, like, the B-plot is that Wesley, Gunn, and Cordelia are still trying to run the business, and they get offered, um, a job that it seemed like it was really easy for them. Wesley kind of figures it out. It looks like a murder mystery, and he kind of does the whole, like, ex explanation of, like, well, it could be you, but really it was you. It was... It was Aunt Edna in the library with the broomstick. Whatever. Um, broomstick, that's not one of the weapons, is it? <laughs> I still want to, I've had on my Amazon wish list for like years now, the Golden Girls Clue, because I realized, I suddenly realized a few years ago, I don't own a copy of Clue. And it's not like I've played it that many times in my life, but I just feel like as a board game lover, I should have Clue. And there's a version of Clue that is the Golden Girls, and the whole thing is who stole the cheese, or who ate the last piece of cheesecake, or something like that. Um, so it's not a murder mystery, it's a cheesecake mystery, so definitely want to play that someday, but board games are expensive. I don't know. Anyway, I have a patron, just side note, I have a patron who's been suggesting to me lately that I should publish my Amazon wishlist information to like, like on my YouTube or to my podcast listeners and stuff like that. So let me know if you think that would be an idea. I, I feel like that is such a weird sort of thing. I mean, it would make sense in the context of my YouTube channel. Like, you know, somebody could buy me a tarot deck that they want to see me review or something like that. Um, Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Just reminded me of that. So, okay. Here's what... Okay. I am really... Okay, so... First of all, I fully acknowledge that I'm a little bit emotionally vulnerable right now. Because... Um, I don't want to go too far into it. Because I think I'm going to do a YouTube video on this topic. Um, maybe tomorrow and I haven't fully formed my thoughts on the whole thing and like what I want to say about it. But some of y'all that are listening in real time that are also goth children may be up to date on the news that kind of dropped this week. Um, I can't remember her middle name. Is it Rachel? Evan Rachel Wood? Does that sound right? She finally named her abuser. So apparently it's been a thing for a while now that she has been public um, about severe domestic abuse that she suffered. And she kind of said the timeline in the past of when this abuse happened and she was having a public relationship with Marilyn Manson at the time. So she hadn't actually named him until this week. I think it was like Monday or something. I didn't find out about it until like yesterday. I'm six days behind, whatever. I don't usually know about those things whenever they hit. But as a, as a goth child that had sort of a parasocial relationship, and if you don't know what that means, it's, it's a new term for me too. Parasocial relationship is when someone is when you have a one-sided relationship that is kind of obsessive. So this can most, I think most of the time it's describing like the way a fan feels about a celebrity. So I, I had a pretty intense parasocial relationship to Marilyn Manson whenever I was a teenager. I 
thought he was so hot and I really, I loved his music and I just really identified with him a lot. He was one of my, one of my big celebrity obsessions in my life. I've had like five and he's one of those five. So, um, I remember kind of reckoning with this whole situation, hearing about allegations of like, apparently he is just a terrifyingly bad dude. And like, we all should have seen it coming kind of thing. So all of that is just to say, like, again, if I talk more about it right now, I'm going to go too far in into it and I'm not ready to go too far into it right now. But lately, the last couple of days, I've been really like mainlining a lot of information about this whole situation. And I'm highly identifying with a lot of it, not only because, um, not only because of like, you know, just being really into Marilyn Manson as a kid, but also because I, there was sort of an environment of in the goth scene particularly, and some of you guys may even know what I'm talking about and may have first-hand experience of this, there was sort of the sort of pervasive mentality, probably especially in the time period in which I was a goth child, which was like late 90s, early 2000s, that, you know, you were supposed to be into BDSM, pain, um, like everyone just automatically assumed that I was some sort of dominatrix because I was a goth, you know, or the opposite that I like to be tied up and like, you know, that kind of thing. There's sort of this mentality that you were supposed to be up for all of that kind of shit if you were a goth kid. Um, and that kind of mentality was really sort of supported by people like Marilyn Manson and just like the ramifications of that whole thing. Anyway, again, I'm going to go too far into it if I keep talking. So th this relates because I just want to say that what I'm about to bitch about in conjunction with this angel episode, I just want you guys to know that I'm kind of in a sensitive place right now. <laughs> so, um, I could be overreacting because of that, but the whole plot point of like, so this scientist guy's boy girlfriend, um, she, it's their one year anniversary. They don't really have a lot in common. They're not really getting along. She kind of describes him and he overhears this whole conversation pretty much. She kind of describes him as being hollow, like, like she's like, there's just nothing there in him or nothing there between them. She said she feels like she's alone when she's with him, which is really dark. Uh, like the actors were not doing a great job at conveying the gravity of the situation, <laughs> but, um, kind of dark to say that you feel alone when you're with someone. So she was telling her friend that she feels alone when she's with him and it's their one year anniversary. He's having her over. He's going to make a romantic dinner, blah, blah, blah. And she knows she needs to leave him. And she basically just says that she's going to eat his dinner, come over for the anniversary, and then she's going to have sex with him. And then she's going to break up with him. And then she's going to leave. And she just outlines this whole thing for her friend while he's overhearing it the entire conversation. And first of all, I think it's shitty of her. Like the concept of 
I don't know. To me, the concept of having sex with someone right before you break up with them is really shitty. Like, it's shitty on her part, and it's shitty on his part, because now he knows, and he's still going to go through with the whole romantic dinner and, you know, having sex. And he's also, completely without her consent, going to freeze time at his moment of orgasm. Like, he knows that she's not super into this. She's just giving him a pity fuck before she breaks up with him. So I feel like it's kind of rapey for him to even have sex with her. And it's absolutely, like, what's the word? Ir irretrievably? Irrefutably. It's also irrefutably rapey of him to freeze time during the last sexual encounter they will ever have because he knows she's going to break up with him as soon as they're done. It's just, it. this was super upsetting to me, <laughs> this whole thing. I mean, I'm, first of all, between consenting adults, like, if y'all are going to break up, you have the conversation, and then if you decide to have sex one last time, that's totally cool. You know, it could be a fun experience, breakup sex, right? But breakup sex needs to be with both people knowing what's happening and both people knowing that the other person knows what's happening. And absolutely, a person cannot consent to spending eternity in your orgasm, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, it wasn't even like she was enjoying it. It was just like, I mean, they weren't portraying it as if, like, you know, she was just all dead-eyed or whatever, but... In my mind, you choose to have sex with someone, and they're... Okay. It wasn't even like they were having a good time at all. Like, she comes over, and everything is super weird and awkward. She's wearing, like, a business outfit, is what it looks like. It's like a button-up, hot pink, like, sort of professional-looking shirt. Like, she looks like she's ready to go to work. <laughs> you know, like... She's not wearing anything sexy. They have like an awkward dinner where they barely say three words to each other and she doesn't even eat. She's like, it's really good. I'm just not that hungry because she wants to get the pity fuck over with so she can break up with him. It's just, it's all very sad and it just feels icky to me. So maybe I'm overreacting, but <laughs> that's where I am with that. Let's not waste any more precious, precious time on Stupid Angel. That episode kind of sucked. Um, I like the bits with, like, the character bits. I like Lorne. I like Wesley Cordelia and Gunn having moments, you know, like, that stuff I was okay with, but the entire, like, end-of-the-world scientist plot thing was just really... It was kind of dumb, but I think it, it felt even more dumb because the actors weren't really selling it at all. It was like they didn't really they didn't really spend a lot of time on this episode in production or something. I don't know. It just like everybody felt really flat in this episode except for like the main characters that we're used to. Okay. Let's move on to Buffy now. I have lost my bookmark for Buffy, so I'm going to have to find it. Hold please. Okay, just getting a little business out of the way. We are way too fucking close to the body, you guys. So we're um, we're coming in hot for February. We're going to have an episode to talk about every single Saturday this month. So um, we're going to talk about Crush next week. I was made to love you in two weeks and then the body in three. So you got three weeks, guys. 
until that episode. Okay. Not ready. <laughs> not ready. Speaking of not being ready, my very first note for this episode of Blood Ties is that I'm triggered because Buffy is wearing the red sweater that she will be wearing when she finds her mom. Like, we hardly ever see Buffy, like, reuse shirts or any items of clothing at all. Um, like, have we ever seen that? Like, maybe we've seen her, like, repeat a jacket or something like that. And we've definitely seen her repeat, like, her, her giraffe pants from season two or her, like, beige stretchy pants from season two. But definitely never a shirt, really. But she's wearing the red v-neck sweater that she will be wearing when she finds her mom and we also see her wearing this red sweater at the end of the episode before she finds her mom dead on the couch so i'm gonna be triggered again when i see it then <laughs> um okay let's read the summary from the buffy episode guide by nikki stafford Dawn discovers the truth about what she is, and, unable to accept that her memories are not real, she runs away from home. I mean, that's kind of a weird summary of this episode. But, first of all, I think this is a really good episode. I think this is the the way that they played the teenage melodrama of... I mean, anybody would overreact if they found out that they weren't real, or... I mean, it's not you know, literal that she's not real, but like would find out that all of your memories are fabricated and that you are a ball of energy in the shape of a girl. <laughs> it reminds me of that, uh, Bjork song, Bachelorette. I am a fountain of blood in the shape of a girl. <laughs> I love that lyric. Um, I mean, anybody would overreact in that situation, but I think they did a really good job with like sort of the teenage melodrama of it all like i think that you know i used to see dawn as being you know super annoying little sister but i totally get where she's coming from these days and i totally understand and i don't think she overreacted at all in this episode so let's go ahead and get into my notes i'm triggered by buffy's sweater as we said it is Buffy's 20th birthday, um, so the day that this aired would have been February 6th, which would make her an Aquarius. However, in other years, her birthday has been closer to the end of January. Um, so, I don't know. Is she a Capricorn? Is she an Aquarius? I feel like she is for sure a Capricorn and not an Aquarius, right? Like, I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> do you have thoughts on Buffy's astrological sign let me know mixtress ray at protonmail.com okay um everyone is asking questions about the key um so this episode starts with um giles giles anya xander willow tara buffy all in the magic shop after hours giles is making tea just for him and buffy but you know I just love that, like, I don't know, that kind of mundane stuff, you know, Giles making tea, giving tea to Buffy while they're talking and, like, not making any comments on it. It's just part of what's happening. Like, I feel like that's all coming from Anthony Stewart head. He's just like, obviously, I'd be making tea right now, right? <laughs> He's got his little tea cart. And, of course, we see the minty mug. Um, let's see. So they're having a conversation about the key. 
and um, Glory and the key and what does she want and all that stuff. And um, they start asking questions about the key and like, okay, well, we need to find this key. Like, what is it? How can we find it? How can we keep it from Glory? Blah, blah, blah. And Buffy decides, okay, we need to tell you guys. And she just said, she basically just says, we need to talk about Dawn. And then it changes to the next scene. And I wish we could have seen that conversation. I, I don't know. I just would have liked to see how everyone initially reacted. And, and I think they did a really good job with the way that different characters react and the way that they kind of adjust during the course of this episode. But I would have liked to have seen it played out and they just skipped over that. And that's unfortunate. Um, I feel like that's a situation where like if Buffy were a book series or something, like we would have gotten that conversation. We would have been able to like sit in that space for a little while. And I don't know. I just would have liked to, to have seen how that conversation played out. I don't know why I just really harped on that this particular time. Um, Tara wearing a green sheer kind of beautiful top, very hippie, very beautiful. I don't know. I love, they've really like, Tara has really settled into herself. And I know I've said that before, but like, she's just like, coming off as like powerful witch chick now and like she's totally settled into her sort of like gothic leaning earthy witch vibe as far as her styling is concerned and it's just gorgeous and I love it um Xander does this weird creepy tickling thing to Dawn and it really skis me out again not a spoiler free podcast but in the comics Xander and Dawn end up together and at the time, I didn't think it was that weird because, you know, by the time they started dating, like they were both in their 20s, you know, and realistically, Xander is only like three years older than Dawn, three or four years older than Dawn. I mean, it's creepy at a certain time period, especially when you're watching a kid grow up, which I know he didn't literally do, but he remembers that he did as far as everyone's psyches are concerned. He watched her grow up. And that's pretty creepy. And he had a huge crush on her older sister. And then, you know, like, I found it a little creepy when it happened in the comics, but not that creepy. But, like, now that I'm re-watching the series with the knowledge of the, the fact that they end up together in the comics, it feels creepier to me when I see these little moments like this. Like, he tickles her. Like, she's fucking 14. You don't tickle a 14-year-old girl. You do not, okay? In case anyone's wondering, you do not tickle a 14 year old girl okay all right um okay i really liked this little exchange between buffy and dawn i think so they're at the magic shop it's like the day after and she's just gotten home from school and so this is the first time everyone's seeing her now they know that she's the key and there was just a little bit of an awkward moment between tara and willow and dawn but not really that one was that one was a little bit better and then she comes in and, you know, Xander has a little moment where he's like weird and he decides to tickle Dawn, just like, ew. But, um, <laughs> and of course Anya is really weird and awkward, but you know, that's Anya. <laughs> she just says, you make a very pretty little girl. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that they... I mean, I don't know if she's specifically supposed to be coded as autistic. I've said this before, but I like viewing Anya as autistic because it, 
I just, I identify with her character anyway, so it's, it's nice to see her in that light, and it, it makes sense that somebody like Aranya would say something like that, just be like completely ridiculous. Um, I liked this exchange between Buffy and Dawn, so this is the, um, this is the quote of the week. So Buffy says, how was school? And Dawn says, the usual, big square building filled with boredom and despair. And then Buffy says, just how I remember it. <laughs> um, so that was nice. Um, oh, something that occurred to me this time, like, I may have thought about it before now, and I may have already said this, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. What's the deal with, like, oh, see, okay, so glory can suck your mind out, and then you're, like, crazy afterwards or whatever, which, you know, the ramifications of that, as far as mental health is concerned, is kind of icky, but as a plot device, that's what it is. She sucks their minds out, and then they're crazy afterwards. If she can suck their mind out, why does she not understand what they know after she sucks their mind out, you know? Um, because she has now mind sucked. In this particular scene, she mind sucks one of the Knights of Byzantium, and the Knights of Byzantium know who the key are. Or do they know who the key are? Key are? Do they know who the key are? They Do they? Maybe they don't. But you would think... And this happens later, you know, because she mind sucks Tara in a few episodes. So, um, we know at that point she doesn't get the information from Tara when she sucks her mind that Dawn is the key. She doesn't know that Dawn's the key once Ben finds out, even though they share a body. I don't know, just... I mean, it's fine. It's just, it seems a little weird that if you, if your whole thing is sucking someone's mind out, why wouldn't you have the information that they know after you do that? You're taking their mind. I don't know. Just a stupid little point that I perseverated on this time. Um, let's see. Oh, I just, it really bugged me how everyone, everyone really truly is being pretty insensitive around Dawn. They're like, openly having conversations as soon as Dawn like gets a little bit out of earshot and having conversations like Joyce is talking about Dawn with Giles and Buffy in the kitchen during Buffy's birthday party like Dawn could walk in at any minute Dawn could overhear things like guess what newsflash teenagers lurk around and listen to adults you know um they're going to be listening when you're and want you to think that they're not, you know, <laughs> it's, it just bugged me that she was, it felt insensitive to me that, that like Joyce was just like openly in the kitchen in the middle of Buffy's birthday party. Like, what's the deal? Is she dangerous? Cause she's not real. And like the things that they've been saying within potential earshot of Dawn, this is not the first time. It has happened many times. And like the whole point of this episode is that Dawn realizes that people are being weird around her and they have been for a while. And especially now that everyone knows, like before this episode, it was just her mom and Giles and Buffy that knew for the last few episodes. And she's already noticed that they're being weird and they're saying strange things. And she hasn't completely overheard anything specifically about her, but she knows enough to know that people are probably talking about her. And so she finally, like, brings it up 
at Buffy's birthday party. Because everyone's just acting so fucking weird around Dawn all the time. And so she's like, what's the deal? Why is that everyone acting weird around me? And everyone's like, just totally invalidating her. Like, nope, nothing's going on. What are you talking about? And so she gets mad and she goes and storms up to her room. And this is just, you know, I'm highly identifying with this whole thing at the moment because um, my teenage nephew is... He's going through some shit. You know, he's been through some shit. He's had to move several times in his life. He's had an abusive stepdad that is no longer around, thankfully. Um, a problematic alcoholic second stepdad that is now in prison. Um, <laughs> it's a whole thing. Um, it's a whole thing. And obviously I shouldn't say any more about that or else I'm just going to be insensitive autistic Anya, not understanding that I shouldn't be saying things that I'm saying. I possibly already went too far. Hopefully not. Um, but you know, he's, he's got some acting out shit that's going on because of, you know, being a teenager and emotional trauma and, you know, other stuff. And he's having, you know, a lot of things that he's going through are completely different from what I went through as a teenager and they're manifesting completely differently, but I still relate because he feels like an outsider and he feels misunderstood by his family and he feels disrespected by us, his family. And so like a lot of like watching Dawn go through this is like, it's reminding me. <laughs> of what my nephew is going through right now. And, you know, I just made a realization today that's like, there was sort of a, a tense lunch conversation where everyone was sort of ganging up on him. And it was all like with love because, but it wasn't coming off that way to him. And I suddenly could see exactly what he was seeing. It was like, I was transported to being a teenager again. And I was like, Oh, what he's hearing is not what we're saying and what we're hearing that he's saying is not what he's actually trying to say you know like what he's saying is actually i need respect from you like he's not literally saying this but like what he's trying to say is i need respect from you i need validation from you i need acceptance from you um and he's putting his own filter up to see if we're worth his respect you know because Anyway, <laughs> and I'm seeing, anyway, I'm just highly identifying with this Buffy episode in many ways. I'm just highly identifying with everything. <laughs> oh, and I always do that. Um, so I, I particularly felt it um, after having this sort of weird tension filled conversation with a teenager at lunch today. And then, um, yeah. And then watching this episode where a teenager is going through some shit and I just think it was really well done. You know, it totally makes sense to me that Dawn would be perceptive enough to understand kind of what's going on and want to know more. And when somebody just tells you, gaslights you and tells you, no, everything's fine. What are you talking about? We're not talking about you. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Buffy really should have told her at this point, you know, she should have known that once everyone's around her again, now that they all know that it's time, it's time to talk to her about it. It's time to let her in a little bit and, you know, meet her halfway. 
Um, where are we? <laughs> so, Dawn storms uh, storms out upstairs, and she decides to leave. She sneaks out, and Spike is outside lurking, and she almost runs into him. And she's like, "Oh God, Spike, why are you lurking?" And he says, "I wasn't lurking. I was standing about. Whole different vibe." <laughs> I really liked this whole scenario, like, despite the fact that uh, Spike is an abusive, terrible person, which we will talk about at length in the days to come. But in this episode, he's a good guy the entire time. He doesn't do a single thing that's gaslighty or groomy or abusive at all towards anyone especially Buffy, because that's who he would do that to. He's not being an ass at all in this episode. He's, yeah, he's lurking around outside Buffy's house, so that's creepy, I guess, but that's the only creepy thing in this episode. And when Dawn runs into him, um, she just basically tells him that she's she's sneaking out. She's going to go steal things at the magic box. And, like, um, Spike is smart about it. Like, this is the way that you deal with a teenager. Spike is actually very good at dealing with teenagers. Imagine that. He decides, okay, you know, you got to meet them halfway. You can't just tell them what to do. You cannot just tell teenagers what to do. That's not going to work. Like, my grandpa today saying all this shit to my nephew. Like, you just have to choose be to be happy and you will be. And, like... <laughs> all this sort of shit that's just like it's gonna sound like empty platitudes like from my grandpa it's coming from a place of experience and coming and he also he hasn't had a lot of a lot of trials and tribulations in his life so he doesn't know what it's like to truly struggle <laughs> you know just in general I don't think he knows but anyway <laughs> I'm getting distracted again um Spike plays it right. He's like, okay, she's sneaking out. Something dangerous could happen to her. Like, either I could take her inside right now and tell Buffy that she's trying to sneak out, and that's just going to make Dawn very, very upset, or I could just go with her right now. And I could be there just in case some nasty comes out of the bushes. I could fight for her. He He's making this choice, and it's not because he gets this shit, because he doesn't have a soul. He's doing it because he is trying to curry favor for Buffy. But despite that motivation, he's still going to be there to protect her. And so he just decides, sure, I like stealing shit. Let's go. And he breaks into the magic box and they go in there together. And, you know, he's around just in case she needs protection. And, you know, from her point of view, I mean, she also knows that she's convincing him to come with her so that he can be her protection. But anyway, I just, I like the way this played out. Spike can't pick up the troll hammer. Um, the whole reason why Dawn was going there, she wanted to see Giles's journal because she suspects that like everybody's keeping something from her and maybe they can, she can find it in Giles's journal. And this totally makes sense from a character standpoint because Dawn is, we've seen her write in her journals before. Um, it's like an established plot point that she writes in journals constantly. So it totally makes sense that she would kind of hone in on the fact that Giles has a journal. And we even had that little moment earlier in the magic shop when he was like putting his journal away and kind of hiding where he was hiding it. And 
So it totally makes sense that she would zero in on that. Like, maybe I can find out what the fuck's going on if I can just get a hold of Giles' journals. Totally makes sense to me um, that that would be where she went with that. I think that probably Dawn would be a Ravenclaw. And Giles is definitely a Ravenclaw. You know what I'm saying? Um, for a person that's only read like three of the Harry Potter books that didn't even like him that much, I'm really into the concept of the different houses because I love analyzing people and sorting them into categories. So, um, just in case you guys wonder, Giles is a Ravenclaw, Buffy is Gryffindor, um, Willow is Slytherin, and Xander is Hufflepuff. Obviously. Obviously. Okay. Where are we? So she finds in the journal, and this scene was really well acted too. Just, I don't know, just like the reading of Giles's journal, like the way that Dawn was reading it out loud versus when Spike steals the book and he starts reading, just the way that he's, the nuance that James Marsters put into it of like, you know, he would misread words sometimes, like as far as like confusion of trying to decipher Giles's handwriting and just like little things like that, little details like that, um, just stick out to me and I appreciate them. But, and there was just, they had little candles. Okay. First of all, I do love the idea of a unicorn candle, but the problem with the unicorn novelty candle, novelty candles bug me. Okay. Because I am not the kind of person that's not going to burn a candle, but a novelty candle is just to look at. But why would you have a fucking candle that you can't set on fire? And you can't, because then it's just going to look really distorted and it's going to get all melty and the wicks never go all the way down in those candles because no one actually burns them. <sighs> novelty candles are just really disappointing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Unless they actually look cool when they burn, you know? Anyway. <laughs> Um, so then they put it together because it's in Giles's journal, the fact that Dawn is the key and she makes this realization and Spike just looks at her and says, I guess that's you, Niblet. I think this is the first time he's calling her Niblet. He's going to call her Niblet a lot. It's possible it's happened already before now, but this is the first time I'm remembering seeing it. I don't know what the fuck happens. Like the next scene, we just get Dawn standing in the living room bleeding everywhere because she's cut herself with a butcher knife to see if she bleeds or something. And like, is this blood? Which makes total sense to me. I don't think this was melodramatic. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys disagree. Like as, as a dramatic teenager that also cut myself, like this seems reasonable to me that like whenever you're a teenager and like, like at some point in the episode, um, Spike says something to the effect of he's trying to comfort Buffy and he's like, well, yeah, she's a mystical key, but also she's a 14 year old hormone bomb. Like which one of those things is messing her up more right now? Flip a coin, you know? Um, so I like that he pointed that out and it like totally makes sense that like, you know, something shatters your worldview and you're a teenager, you might immediately start doing something really weird and destructive, like cutting yourself to see if what's under the skin. Are you real? You know, I feel like that resonated. I think that was a real kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I found that to be 
realistic. So I don't know, like, where the fuck was Spike? Like, he didn't show up until later? Was he in the house? He wasn't in the house whenever she showed up with bleeding. I don't know. She was suddenly back and the party was still going on and she was bleeding, so they must have not been gone that long. Um, but, okay, and then they kick everybody out. There was a little moment that, like, I felt a little hurt on Giles' behalf, but I don't think he felt hurt by this. But, like, you know, Buffy was kind of kicking everyone out after that happened. Like, okay, we need to talk to her. She's found out that she's the key. And so we need to deal with this. And she's kicking everyone out. And um, Giles says, perhaps I should stay? And Buffy says, no, this is a family thing. And I just didn't like her saying that. I don't know why it just bugged me because it's like, Giles is your fucking family. Like, I mean, I'm not like trying to argue against like, you know, it makes sense that she would be like, no, you know, it's just me and mom probably need to deal with this on her own. You know, you don't need to stay. Um, but he probably would have been helpful had he decided to stay. You know, I don't know, like, I like the idea that he's, I like the fact that they're putting it in that he's offering to stay, but like saying this is a family thing, just cut me for some reason. Like, don't tell Giles that he's not your family. <laughs> I just kind of like, I actually, I think I gasped, like, because <gasps> I just, it, it hurt. It was like a dagger. <laughs> I identified with Giles's pain, even though he didn't seem to be showing any in that moment. Um... Oh, we have our um, drink every time. <laughs> Dawn says, get out, get out, get out. I think this is the first time we see it. We will definitely see it a couple more times. It is an iconic Dawn thing. Um, so, hey, love to see it. <laughs> um, Buffy, I think the outfit of the episode, I have no idea what she was wearing on her bottom half. Some kind of pants. And she was also wearing some kind of stylish shoes slash boots of some kind. But other than that, I have no idea. But the top is definitely the outfit of the week. And it is this gorgeous, like, sheer black top that's sort of, like, gathered at the neck. And the arms are sort of bell sleevey. And it was just really, really pretty. And she was wearing this sort of, like... Um, cream colored like almost the same color as her skin top uh, or like camisole underneath and just looked really pretty I love a sheer top I don't have enough sheer tops in my life most of the time whenever I get them like the style is just really weird and unflattering on me it's probably because I have like a I have like a weird shape <laughs> like if I get a top that fits me in the torso, it's too tight on my arms. And then if I get a top that fits me in my um, linebacker arms, <laughs> then it's too big for the rest of me. So, I don't know. I've always like wanted to look that good in a sheer black top, you know? I guess if I had one custom made for me, I could, but... <laughs> so that is the outfit of the episode. She looks good. We're in the magic shop again. Oh, I wrote down the, whenever, um, Spike was, like, breaking into the magic box, like, um, picking the lock. That's what you call it. He was picking the lock and the hours were on the door. So just in case you're wondering about the magic box 
and its hours, Monday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., Fridays and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. It's possible that that 10 as the closing time on Fridays and Saturdays was actually an 11 or a 12. I couldn't tell. That would be pretty crazy if they were open until midnight on Fridays and Saturdays. But hey, I wouldn't put it past Giles to be open until midnight on Friday and Saturday. And then Sundays, they're closed. (laughs) Perfectly reasonable set of hours for a magic shop, I think. I wish the magic box was real and I could go there and buy things. Because I would do it all the time. Okay. Um, So as soon as Buffy finds out that I guess he just went home or something or dropped Dawn off or whatever. But so the next day, as soon as Buffy finds out that Spike was with her and that's how she found out about the whole thing. Um, she goes and confronts Spike and I love that he's painting his nails whenever she comes in to like beat him up or whatever. And I, I just, he, he is, I, I like his emotional intelligence level in this episode. He says to Buffy, if kid sis wants to take a midnight stroll, she's going to find a way sooner or later. That's the thing. Like another thing that we all need to realize as a family, as far as the way that we relate to my nephew right now is that we can't control him. You know, we need to believe him when he says what he's going to do and the trouble that he gets into, quote unquote, is, you know, he's going to get into it. He's going to find a way to do it. We cannot control him and trying to control him is only going to push him further away from us, you know, Um, and this, you know. If Kid Sis wants to take a midnight stroll, she's going to find a way sooner or later. And he's, you know, that's how he justifies the fact that he was with Dawn. And it, you know, Buffy gets it. She's like, okay, yeah, you're right. And he even says, you know, you should have told her. Maybe you, and he just kind of confronts her about it. He gets emotional. (laughs) Like he identifies with Dawn in this moment, I think. Um, Or else he's projecting a little bit because he didn't know she was the key either. Um, but he just, he kind of points at Buffy and he's like, maybe if you'd been more honest with her in the first place, blah, blah, blah. And I really liked that. I liked that he yelled at her about that because she needed to hear that. And, um, object of the episode. Okay. So I had two that I was like three actually, because earlier in the episode, Willow was wearing this really cool, like knee length, um, coat that looked like it was like a dark green faux snake skin in that sort of like very late 90s although this was 2001 but kind of left over from that late 90s like it had like the collar and like the the tie around the belt and yeah I don't know it's like that sort of 90s does 70s style you know but it was it looked like it was dark green faux snake skin um, jacket, and I was totally here for it. So I was fighting between that or Dawn's pillowcase. She has, it's, I think it's like a circular, like decorative pillow that she's laying on, but it's like a, an orchidy purple crochet pillowcase or pillow, decorative pillow. And it has like these red 
like roses maybe some kind of flower so you can see like the green of the stems of the flower and you can see the red of the petals and it's on I love a contrast between red and like an orchidy purple color that's a really good contrast so that and the third thing I could just because I realized I don't think I've mentioned it yet but I really like the beaded curtains that Giles has in the magic shop they're like teal and they have sort of a chevron zigzaggy pattern with like the bigger beads contrasted with the smaller beads I just really I think I have mentioned that before and we may see Willow's coat again but I'm not sure if we're ever gonna see Dawn's pillowcase again it's possible we will but I don't remember ever seeing it before and I really like it <laughs> so that's gonna be the object of the episode is her her gorgeous purple and red um, crochet pillow that's on her bed um, um I, I also like the touch of like we're seeing how Dawn is dealing with this and and I think that's I think it, I'm glad that we're getting a whole episode of Dawn figuring out that she's the key and reckoning with it and I like that they gave her a moment with her diaries because you know that's been established as a thing for her diaries like she keeps journals and I also did too so I identified with this moment of like her looking through her old journals and just like realizing that like she didn't ever actually write those they're all made up and then she burns them and it's such a heart-wrenching moment um yeah I don't just the emotions of that I I get it <laughs> I like that they had that in there um so what are they all doing they're like at the magic shop at this point and Spike is there why is Spike there I guess Buffy like called everyone together or something because Dawn has run away so she's burning the diaries and then the smoke alarm goes off and Joyce and Buffy come upstairs because 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 Buffy and Joyce are sitting on the couch and they're talking about Dawn again and Dawn over here she's starting to like she's she looks at her journals and you can see that she's kind of going through it and she decides to go downstairs and talk to her mom and sister after like isolating herself from them for like 24 hours she decides to go talk to them finally and they're talking about her and she overhears the wrong thing at the wrong time again and that's when she sets all her journals on fire and sneaks out again and so when the smoke alarm goes off they go upstairs they find that she's gone Buffy like tells her mom to stay there in case Dawn comes home I guess and she decides to like gather everyone together at the magic box I guess that's why Spike is there it's just kind of weird like she's talking to everyone and yelling out orders and Spike's there like I guess like the fact that Spike is being integrated into the team has really been like now that I'm watching this in real time I'm seeing it happen so slowly and so organically that it's kind of genius you know because like at first he would just kind of like they'd pay him to help them with something 
or he would be involved just because he likes fighting demons and now his motivation is because he has a huge crush on Buffy but we're also seeing Buffy integrate him into the group on purpose you know like her excuse is that he is strong and he can fight and all that shit but she she actually likes him being around like I really never noticed it before and I know I've mentioned that already um but so she's barking out orders like you know Dawn and or you know Willow and Tara you guys go get this part of town Giles and Xander you get this part of town and we don't get to see any of Dawn and Tara, or Dawn and Tara, I keep saying Dawn and Tara, we don't get to see any of Willow and Tara and what their shenanigans are as they're looking for Dawn, but we get to see some moments between Xander and Giles, and then we get to see Buffy, and Buffy pairs herself up with Spike, which I thought was a little bit like, okay, if you guys are splitting up and something dangerous could happen, wouldn't you want to, like... I don't know, pair a really good fighter with someone that isn't? Like, wouldn't you want to put Spike with... I mean, shouldn't it be Buffy and Giles and then Spike is with Xander? I mean, I guess that would be an antagonistic duo, but so is Xander and Giles. Um, Anyway, whatever. I just found it interesting that Buffy decided to pair herself with Spike for the search. Um, Let's see... Oh, this was gross. This was gross. I didn't like this. Um, so Xander has this whole moment of like when he's, when he and Giles are searching for Dawn in dumpsters and stuff for some reason. Like, why did Giles just open a dumpster to look for Dawn? Like, did she, is he afraid that she got thrown in there? Anyway, um, I didn't like this moment. Again, it's just another creepy Xander moment now that I know the fact that he and Dawn end up together in the comics but he's saying to Giles you know she's a big glowy orb of energy you know she's very powerful ancient energy and she kind of has a crush on me you know like some people are just really cooler and that just felt creepy to me but I really loved how Giles is just like sitting there like letting him say all this shit and then just like without a single word he just like walks off and just like the way that he does it is just beautiful physical comedy i want a gif of that hopefully one already exists um really enjoy that moment um we get like a sweet comforting moment between buffy and spike because buffy's worried and she says to spike which has she ever been this nice to him this is possibly the first time she has been in intentionally like without being brainwashed or under some kind of spell (laughs) this nice to spike she says to him you were right i should have told her and spike is he relents a little bit because he sees that she's in pain and he's like that's when he makes the comment about how she's a 14 year old hormone bomb and you know it's possible she would have taken off at some point anyway because of that um, Dawn ends up at the hospital, um, which is smart, actually. Like, she goes there because she wants to talk to, um, she wants to see how the patients in the, like, what, what do you call it, mental ward 
of the hospital. I don't know. The psychiatric ward? Yes, that's probably what it is. So she goes into the psychiatric ward part of the hospital to talk to the people that Glory has mind sucked, essentially. Even though I don't, she doesn't know that, I don't think that that's why they are the way that they are. But she makes the connection that, like, those types of people see her for what she is. And so she kind of goes in there and the Knights of Byzantium guy who got mind sucked from glory earlier in the episode is there. And he kind of like, she's like, you see me, right? Like you see what I am. And like, I forget what he says, but, um, she kind of freaks out and leaves the room and runs into Ben and Ben makes her some hot chocolate and sets her down in the locker room or the break room. It's like the break room slash locker room or something because there's tables in there too. And so he takes her in there and like talks to her and like, what's going on? Did you run away? Like, is your mom here? Like, why are you here? You know, he's just being a genuine nice dude. And I like Ben, you know, he, he goes bad, but he seems like a good guy. He's so cute. He's so cute. <laughs> I don't normally think boys are cute. So when I do, I just, I get attached, you know? Um, so Ben's there. He's, he's nice to Dawn. And this is the first time we actually see Ben turn into glory because she inadvertently reveals to him that she's the key and he starts freaking out and he's like, Oh my God, she's going to know you need to get out of here. She's going to know. And then she turns, he turns into glory right in front of Dawn's eyes. And so Gloria's, you know, super threatening or whatever, of course. And Buffy ends up, she shows up. Dawn asks Glory, like before Buffy shows up, asks her a lot of smart questions because Glory's like, where's my key, Donnie? <laughs> like your sister has it. Where did she put it? And, um, Dawn starts asking questions and she's doing a good job, like being a little detective, trying to find out about herself without revealing things to this person that she would be terrified to be in the presence of Glory right now. But she's still, I don't know, she's pretty damn brave. She's pretty ballsy. She's asking her questions like, well, maybe if you tell me more about the key, I'd know if I'd seen it you know? And she starts asking Glory questions. Like, what does it look like? Is it evil? Like, how old is it? She's getting information right now. I mean, obviously she's getting it for herself because she wants to know more about what she is, but she's also getting valuable information that she can give to everyone. And she, I don't know. I just thought it was cool how she played that. And um, the way that Glory describes the key is that it's bright green swirly shimmer. Um, Buffy calls Glory a hell bitch. <laughs> Glory calls everyone else because um, everybody shows up and it's a big fight. Um, big fight scene in the hospital. And Glory calls everyone crap gnats. I had never noticed that before. This is the first time I'm watching Buffy the series with subtitles, I think. It's possible this isn't the first time I'm watching it with subtitles on, but um, yeah, anyway, I never noticed that she calls them crap gnats, and I'm just so into that phrase. <laughs> you little crap gnats! <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, Willow does a teleportation spell 
to get Glory out of there. She's never done anything like that before, and it was a very powerful spell, and she gets a nosebleed, and um, that's how they get out of that nonsense, and Buffy is bleeding for some reason, because Glory threw something at her that kind of impaled her a little bit, but not too much. She seems fine. And we get a little speech, you know, like, between Buffy and Dawn of, like, this is Summer's blood. Because I think Buffy's, or Dawn's wound, where she'd cut herself the night before, came open during this fight, too. And they have, like, a little blood-packed moment where Buffy says, your blood is my blood. This is Summer's blood. Like, we're sisters. Like, because basically she just, okay, I didn't make that connection until right this very second. But Buffy, when she stopped that thing from impaling her, it was on its way to hit Dawn. So basically, Buffy just saved Dawn's life in front of her. And Dawn's like, why did you do that? And Buffy's like, because I care about you. You're my sister. And she's like, but I'm not. And she's like, yeah, you are. You are, Bland. You are. And um, she just does a little speech of like, well... I love you. You're my sister. We're, we're from the same shit, you know, and they, she does the little, this is, this is my, my blood is your blood and your blood is my blood. This, this shit will come into play at the very end of the season. And it was a good moment. Um, what else we got here? Buffy does her summer's blood speech. Oh, and then at the very end, she says something about, I was talking to Ben. Um, I don't know. He must have left before Glory got here. I don't remember. So this is, you know, we see Ben turn into Glory for the first time in this episode, and we see that Dawn doesn't remember it, even though she clearly saw it happen. So that's just... I, I like this little bit of, like, magic where they tell us that there's, like, some kind of juju. Like, we don't even find out about what it is until several episodes in the future. When the hilarious moment that is coming up when Spike's like, are you all very stoned? <laughs> like, Ben is Glory. Glory is Ben. And he has to keep explaining it to everyone because there's some kind of, like, magic that makes them forget. Um, but it doesn't affect Spike because he's a vampire. Because, you know, reasons. But, um, yeah. I, I really, I think this is a good episode. I, like, it's so weird. Like, in the past, I wouldn't have necessarily said that season five is my favorite season or anything, but every episode so far has felt really, really well done. Lots of character development, lots of, like, psychological ramifications of character interactions and, like, everything. It feels so solid to me this time rewatching it, uh, more so than I ever, I don't know, in the past I would have unequivocally said season three is my favorite season and just by the fact that like it feels like every single week I'm saying wow this was a really good episode <laughs> you know everything seems so well done like all the actors know exactly who they are they're doing interesting character development things like we finally much as I advocated for him and I tried to be on his side I am relieved that Riley is not a part of this cast anymore. He didn't really fit in in this universe, you know? He was a good guy, and good guys just don't make sense on Buffy. No, not not really, because Giles is a good guy. But, anyway, 
really enjoyed this episode. So what are my ratings? I just closed the notebook as if I was completely done. I already told you guys the quote, the outfit, the object, MVP of the episode. I'm going to give it to Dawn because like, yeah, she was melodramatic, but you know, she still had her wits about her. She still understood that something was fucking going on and she found the answer that she needed when everybody was invalidating her. She also asked smart questions in the presence of a very scary hell god. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I just, I think that Dawn is like the fandom in general, the Buffy fandom in general just seems to really fucking hate her. And I just, I think it's unfounded. And I was one of those people. Like when I first, when I very first saw season five and I'm like, who the fuck is Dawn? I didn't sign up for a little sister. How can you just throw a little sister into the mix all of a sudden? But now I kind of think it's perfect and I understand and I don't like the way that she is treated in general. And I don't know. I, I think they could have dealt with her character better in general. And then we all would have liked her more in the process. You know, it's not Michelle Trachtenberg's fault. Um, they never really let her... I don't know. They, I feel like they did her character wrong in general. But um, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it plays out. But um, yeah, I think this is a good episode. MVP I'm going to give to Dawn. 5x5 five five ratings as far as just like enjoyability. This episode, like every other episode so far in season 5, is advancing the plot in a satisfying way. It's It's got character development shit going on. It's got, it's got all the things that I love about Buffy. Um, we're not getting as many, like I've noticed, like without joss at the helm we're not getting as many like really funny lines all the time but the actual experience of watching the episodes i mean we'll get that i think jane espenson is kind of like working a little bit more on angel right now but once we get her back like she's a big part of the writing writing process in season six and seven i think um but once we kind of get her back, um, we'll get a bit, little bit more of those like quippy lines and stuff like that. Um, but as far as the actual experience of watching the episodes, you don't miss that while it's happening. You still get funny moments with the actors just doing their thing. Um, my mom mentioned, oh, I forgot this because I watched the episode with her like a week ago. So it's been a little bit she had mentioned that she thinks something's going on with Nicholas Brendan. She's like, he just looks, he looks hurt. And like, yeah, I think the actor is, he's playing up the injury from that one episode where the troll broke his wrist, but it seems like he might actually be injured. Like Buffman, like my mom was like, something's wrong with him. And I'm wondering, like, I don't know all the details about the things that Nicholas Brendan has gone through, but he's had, he's had some issues with like drinking and domestic violence and like some, some weird shitty, like alcoholic famous person things, <laughs> um, that I don't know all the details to. 
Um, I don't know how much of an asshole he is. I don't know if he should be canceled, but <laughs> I don't know if he was already dealing with some of those issues of alcoholism and other stuff. Like maybe he had gotten a, in a fight with someone and maybe they had to write in the fact that the troll broke his wrist because the actor had actually broken his wrist. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Perhaps if I had thought about that before I started recording, I would have looked it up. But as I am now at the end of the episode, I'm not going to look it up. And if I find something out, I'll let you guys know. If you guys know the answer to those questions, let me know and I will let everyone else know. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be back next week to talk about, what is it? Crush. Oh, I think that's the one where Buffy finds out that Spike has a crush on her. Even though she probably already knows, she's just denying it. But yeah, it's got to be the episode that she finds out, which I didn't realize it was that soon. Because like, Spike just found out that he's in love with Buffy like four episodes ago. And then she's going to find out next episode. So it really wasn't that long that he wasn't letting her know, which I guess that makes sense because the majority of like their weird ass dynamic is that he's in love with her and she's constantly rejecting him. So I guess it makes sense that she would find out this early. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that next week and I will see you then. Bye.